Thanks, Darren. Well, we've, we've arrived. We've made it to the last word that we have been looking at all summer as we've counted down God's top 10, as we've said. This, this word that we have this morning, a powerful word, and I, I approach this word this morning with a sense of inadequacy, uh, a sense of the overwhelming and awe and importance and the depth of this first word that God has for us. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. This, this is God's first word in this covenant that God is making with the people of Israel and the covenant that God is making with us. You shall have no other gods before me. It's easy to say. It's easy to say, but it's harder to keep. It's harder to, to keep God as first. You know, if, if I were to press you this morning, if I were to come down in the, in the sanctuary here and put a microphone in your face and, and I ask you to list your top priorities, most likely without thinking you would say, well, God's first, family's second, maybe work is third. It, it, it's easy to say, but if we're honest, we struggle with keeping this first word. And one of the reasons we struggle is because of the things that go on in life. Just because of life, we have interruptions, family issues, work, friends, all good things, but, but things that can oftentimes lead us down a wrong path. And it's hard for us to keep the main thing, the main thing. But we know in life, it's, it's an issue of what is our biggest priority? What is most important? Life is all about priorities, isn't it? We uh, set priorities every day. What we do reflects what our priorities are, what we have deemed important. And sometimes we do this without even thinking about it. Some things have become so ingrained, they're now habit. And, and if we aren't careful, we can look up one day and wonder how we've gotten where we've gotten. You ever been there before? I know I have. How did I get here? What did I do or not do? Or what should I have been doing or not doing to get here? And sometimes we're not happy about where we are. And so we say that God is our first priority. But what God? What is our number one God? I love the quote by Ellsworth Callis. He states this. Sometimes we profess to worship the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ. But we demonstrate by our conduct that we have quite another God. Sometimes we profess to worship the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ, but we demonstrate by our conduct that we have quite another God. That the God of the Bible, Yahweh, is not our first priority. We talked last week about the idols that we make so often in our lives. We, we replace God with something else, and these idols can get in our way. But and idols flow out of a wrong understanding of God. But where we spend our time, our money, our resources, tends to be our priority, our God. So this first word, you shall have no other gods before me. It's the foundation for all the other nine words. Everything flows out of this first 
word, this first word that God has for us. As followers of God, we must pursue this first word with abandon, with passion and purpose. This should be our first priority where everything else flows out of it. But how we view God, hear this, how we view God will impact how we follow this word, this commandment. How we understand God shapes everything in our life. It shapes how we view people. It shapes how we view sin. It shapes how we view ourselves. It shapes how we view these other nine words. How we view God shapes that. Too many of us though, we have a wrong understanding of who God is. And because of that, you don't want to worship God or you don't know how to worship God. You know, you see, if you see God as an angry old man up there in heaven, just waiting for you to mess up to, and, and just to hit you on the hand every time you do, then that's gonna shape how you view the rest of the world. If you see God as some jolly old Santa Claus figure who just wants to give you gifts and pat you on the head and say everything's gonna be okay, then that, that's gonna shape your worldview. If you see God as an absent father, who never comes around, who never has any impact on your life, then, then how you view the world, how you view yourself, how you worship, all of that is shaped by how you view God. It's important. And if you have a wrong understanding of God, then, then when life comes at you in ways that go against that view, you're gonna struggle. You're gonna question. You will struggle with the deep issues and the deep questions in ways that will leave you lost. So that when you're talking about God, it's not the God of the Bible. That's why I approach this sermon with a little bit of fear and trembling. I don't want to give you a false understanding of who God is. My job as a pastor, this is the, the part that I struggle with. I don't want you to misinterpret. I don't want you to mishear. I don't want to say the wrong thing. But what is God's character? It is interesting because as a pastor, I get to talk to people a lot about faith and about God. And there are times when people are talking to me about God and they struggle with their view of God. And, and I realize they don't know the God of the Bible. I, I, I realize that they have gotten their image of God from either culture or from their upbringing or from a friend or from some website or something and, 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 and they don't understand God. And, and that's, it's frustrating at times. It is. But it is hard to understand who God is. For one, we're just finite creatures. How can we completely understand an infinite God? That is one limitation. By his very nature, God is beyond comprehension. However, there are times when I'm listening to people talk about God and I am completely confused by what they're saying. Their, their understanding of God is so far removed from the God of the Bible that I, I feel like Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride. You, you know that? Put it up. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. You keep using that word God. I don't think you know what that word actually means. I can give you a lot of theological words and concepts 
about God. But this morning, instead, I want to tell you a story. Now, forgive me, because this is the same story I've been telling you every week for the past 10 weeks. But I want you to understand who the God we serve is. It's a story of how these 10 words, these 10 commandments came to be. This is your story. This is my story. See, these stories that we have in the Bible are there to help us understand who we are and who God is. When we read the Bible, it is, in a sense, the story of our lives. So I want us to go back in time again and rediscover the God of the Bible. Now this whole series, I've invited you to use your imagination as we've traveled back in time, as we've stood around the, the, the edge of the mount, as Moses is up on top and, and getting the 10 commandments, these 10 words from God. And we're remembering how God had freed us from slavery, from 400 years of brutal slavery. Our entire existence was slavery. We had no hope for the future. And we were begging God to move. And finally, it seemed like too long, but God initiates his rescue plan. It was a bold plan. It was shocking. And as you read the story, especially if you try to place yourself in the story, you can hardly believe what you're reading, right? As Moses, called by God, he, he does the 10 plagues, those plagues that show Pharaoh that show the Egyptians, that show the Israelites that Yahweh God is more powerful than any of the gods of Egypt. That those gods are nothing compared to Yahweh. But Pharaoh, he's stubborn. Sometimes we're stubborn. We won't relent. He won't admit he's wrong. He won't admit that Yahweh God is more powerful than any of the other gods of Egypt. And so God initiates the Passover. God warns Pharaoh that that night, the angel of death is going to pass over every home and every firstborn child will be killed unless they take a lamb and sacrifice it and put the blood on the doorposts of their home. And when the angel of death passes over that house with the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, their family will be spared. But Pharaoh doesn't heed God's warning. He ignores the threat. And so it takes death, the death of Pharaoh's firstborn, for him to finally relent. He lets the Israelites go and they begin to escape. And then Pharaoh changes his mind again and he starts to pursue him. He has him backed up between a rock and a hard place as they're at the Red Sea. And God miraculously parts the Red Sea. The people pass through. The sea comes back and destroys Pharaoh's army. And then God leads them into the desert to Mount Sinai. And God invites them into covenant with him. You see, God's plan for us is rescue. God's plan for us is to be free people. Did you hear that? God's plan for us is to be free people, to live in freedom and not slavery. God offers the Israelites salvation. Listen to this. We said it last week. God saves and then he gives the law. God rescues, 
and then he gives the covenant. God saves us first, and then the law is given. Grace always comes first. Throughout the Old and New Testament, grace comes first. Say it with me. Grace comes first. God seeks us out before we seek him out. And as the people of God, they're standing around the base of the mountain. And Moses gives them these 10 words. Words designed to give life. And how do these 10 words start? It starts like this. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is showing them his character. He is a God who frees slaves. Do you see it? He is a God who frees slaves. This is the God we serve, not a God who is always watching, waiting for us to mess up and then punish us. No, we serve a God who desires to free us, to free us from the things that enslave us so that we can live in freedom. And these 10 words, these 10 commandments, they were given to a people, to you and I, so that we can know how to truly live free lives. These are God's 10 words for how we can live as free people. They were given to a free people to tell them how to stay free. This is how you do it. Do you wanna know how to live in freedom? Here it is, right here. And the foundation of these 10 words is the first word. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the foundation. This is the first word that God gives to us. This is the story that I've reminded you about for the past 10 weeks. But the story doesn't end there, does it? If you know your Bible at all, you'll read that the people struggle with keeping these 10 words. Why? Because they have a slave mentality. Their hearts are broken. They, they continually return after other gods. They continually went back to the way they lived before, adultery, murder, thieving, coveting, bearing false witness, disobeying the Sabbath. We kept breaking the covenant that we first made with God. We're like an unfaithful wife, as Hosea says, who keeps going after other lovers. But God still pursues us. You see, it's hard to get that slave mentality out of us. We see this gap, this chasm between God's offer of grace and his covenant and our ability to keep it. There's this gap, this chasm. We, we want to. It, it's almost like we need a new exodus. It's almost like we need a new covenant. If only we had a new covenant. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he writes about that very thing. And I'm going to read from the book of Romans, chapter 7, just for a minute. It's a longer text, so bear with me here. It's important. See, Paul says, so the trouble is not 
with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. That's what Paul says. The trouble is with me, for I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, or I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I do is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power that is within me. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me? See, even though the Israelites had been given grace, even though they had been given the covenant, they still needed freedom. This is what the Israelites knew deep within their soul, that there's this gap between God's calling and what we're able to do. They tried to keep God's law, but they couldn't. They lived as slaves to sin and death. But here's the thing. Every year, every year at Passover, they would remember. Every year at Passover, they would celebrate the freedom that God had offered them. This is what they do every year. And, and Passover was such a big event. They would remember how God had freed them from slavery. They would remember and they would hope. They would hope for the future. The Passover meal, you, if you've been through one before, it uses all the senses, right? Taste, touch, smell, sight, hearing. And it, they're supposed to use their imagination and place themselves back as if they were slaves in Egypt. And the Passover meal was designed to take you back in time so that you would remember that you were a slave, that you would remember the Passover. And so they would roast a lamb to remember the, the lamb that was slain and the blood put on the doorposts of the house in order that they could remember the angel of death passed over them. They had the unleavened bread to remind them that God is the one who feeds them. And the unleavened bread, which meant they had to escape quickly. They didn't have time for the bread to rise. And they, they had the wine to remind them of the grace and the goodness of God. And the cup that reminded them that God is the one who frees slaves. It is God. And in that meal, they would remember and they would hope for the future Messiah. In fact, they'd have an extra chair there at Passover, just anticipating that someday God is gonna come back and close that gap. In the Passover, they remembered the freedom and the covenant that God had offered them, but they also recognized they couldn't keep the covenant. 
So the words of Paul echo again in my soul. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? This is the, the question Paul asked. He asked himself, you know, who will free me from a heart that covets and wants what I don't have? Who will free me from the gossip that so easily flows from my lips and how I bear false witness against my neighbor? Who will free me from a heart that constantly wants what I want no matter who else has it? Who will rescue me from a soul that lusts after things and people that I shouldn't be lusting after? See, these are the questions that the Israelites wanted to know. Who will free me from a heart that too easily murders people in my soul and disregards their humanity? Who will free me from too easily dismissing my family and not recognizing how God has used them in my life? Who will rescue me from a heart that is so restless that I don't even know how to take time to rest. I'm afraid to rest because it's all up to me. Who will free me from a heart that too easily takes God's name in vain and disregards God's power? Oh. Who will show me the pointlessness of all my idols? The answer is God. God. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. That, that's what Paul says. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, God gave us 10 words so that we could have freedom. We're so broken though that we couldn't keep 10. So God gave us one word, the word made flesh, to come down, to take our place, to take the penalty of us breaking this covenant, knowing that we can't keep these 10. And the Jews every year at Passover would remember the offer of salvation, the offer of freedom. And they would remember that they couldn't keep it. And so we come this morning in the same way. We have been given an offer of salvation, a costly grace, a grace that was broken on the cross. and blood that was spilt to cover our sin. Because God knew he's the only one who 
can free us from the slave mentality we have. So the offer of freedom is still on the table. This one word, God made flesh. Let me read again from Romans. I love this passage. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of this life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of our weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. By giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by, here's the warning. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the spirit, think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you, hear this, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit you have, the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been, give, been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received a spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. That's what Paul was reminding us. That we serve a covenant-making God who offers grace first. And even when we can't keep our end of the deal, he says, I will pay a costly price to cover it for you. So the invitation this morning is to those of you who have never submitted your life completely to Christ. Today's the day. The offer of salvation is on the table this morning. So if you have never given your heart to Christ, I would invite you right now, if you'd like, you can come and kneel at the altar. I'll pray with you here in just a second. For those of you who have not kept this covenant, who have feel you need to be remade new in Christ, to give your life again anew, I would invite you and come and kneel on this side. The altar is open 
at this time. You may come if you'd like.